0: Listener supported, WNYC Studios.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jeremy Schapp, Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, Burt Marcus, and Lou DiBella.
2: Well, Bert, that's the uh, second time I've seen the film, and it's terrific. Congratulations! Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. I, I gotta tell you the truth. I'd forgotten how hairy Nikolai Valuev is, in, but it was a, it was a nice reminder.
1: Well, first of um, all, just before you start, I just want to thank you know these three gentlemen for being in it, but especially these two for really you know giving of themselves, being really vulnerable, and you know these guys really did it out of their truly people say this, but out of the goodness of their heart to hopefully implement changes for other people. And, you know, I really, these guys are a huge inspiration and the only reason, you know, I'm here.
2: Let's start uh, with the gentleman to my immediate right. Uh,
1: Hi. (laughs) Hello,
2: Michael. It's good to see you. Thank you. Uh, You say in the film, Evander, that the most complete fight you think you ever fought was the first fight against this guy. What, What was your most complete fight?
3: I don't know. It's just all such a blur with me try. Marvis Frazier.
2: Marvis Frazier. Marvis Frazier. Yeah. Well, uh, he was a rich
3: kid. Was, was, was it? They're easier to beat up. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, hey, Evander, what made it possible for you to win that incredible fight in 1996
4: against Mike? Uh, for, for one thing is that I watched him. You know, from amateur, and I watched all the professional ball, and it was almost like he was the guy that went before me. He was a small guy, his arm was shorter, and he beat this guy. He never had an excuse. And it's one of the things that he said he said, You know, everybody, you know, everybody got a game plan until they get hit first. And so I realized that the things that he said was the same thing that, you know, I had to believe to, to win the fight. You know, so the fact, the fact of the matter is who can be uncomfortable the longest is the one that's going to win. And so, you know, at the time that by the time Mike and I fight, our fight came together, Mike was knocking everybody out early. So Mike wasn't really getting that test that I was getting. Everybody felt they could beat me. So I got tested all the time. So I knew what I could bring. The thing is that I felt that he wouldn't know what he—he really don't know if he could bring it. He used to do it, but you actually life is about
3: each and every day what you what you do on the daily.
2: Why do you think you lost that fight,
3: Mike? Um, Because I lost to the most um, competitive guy in the history of fighting, man. You know this guy's an underrated fighter. You know um, it's unfortunate and it's not complimentary that you know I outshadowed a lot of people during my time. But this guy, um, man, he's, in, he's inconceivably the most competitive human being I ever competed against, and um, that's what people should know about him. You know, it's easy to overlook that because he's such a, a smooth, kind-hearted guy, so people expect to see a, a fighter um, quintessential to what I was, and, and Vander's uh, Van just not that, but he's um, no doubt about an extra extraordinary fighter. Until that
2: time, you'd lost only the one fight to Buster Douglas six and a half years earlier, uh, the fight in Tokyo on regular HBO. Lou, how much money did Buster Douglas cost HBO? Not a lot. <laughs> I mean, I remember I, I, that was I, I, I beat him. They
5: robbed me of the count, about man. Him. I no, beat him. So Are you serious?
3: I, I, you still think that? I have no doubt about it. If you come count, you
5: see I did, man. I, I, Jeremy, I started at HBO um, three weeks before that fight. Like, I worked at HBO from really three weeks before that fight until the year 2000. And I remember them telling me, you know, Here, go get a ticket to go to Tokyo and go see the fight. And I said, it's going to be a long way to go for a short fight. <laughs> so I stayed on a little apartment on West 74th Street and listened to Jim Lampley call that fight. And um,
2: Not and even I, pay-per-view? No, not, not HBO. even
5: pay-per-view, it was not an expensive fight. But Mike wasn't Mike then. I mean, that's, you know... And Buster was in great form. Buster was in great form. His mom had just passed away. He dedicated the fight to his mom. Um, I mean, Mike had a lot of turmoil going on in his life. I mean, you know, if, if Mike was the guy he is now through his whole career, you wouldn't be saying Mike's one of the top ten heavyweight champions of all time. You would have been saying Mike is the greatest fighter of all time because that's the kind of ability that Mike had. And honestly, like what Evander, and I go way back, I mean, almost every fight that he... He, his big fight he had, I worked, I worked on, and and there is nobody in the history of boxing, like in heavyweight division, this guy was a small guy, like he wasn't a natural heavyweight. If if Evander Holyfield weighed two hundred fifty pounds and was six foot four, God, man, wow, like there would have been no one better, and and what he achieved, you know, it was, it was, was, I used to laugh like when they said you had a heart problem, remember, like there was, he had a physical problem and there was something wrong with his heart. I was like. No, there's nothing wrong with Evander Holyfield's <laughs> heart because Evander Holyfield has the biggest heart. Like, you know, Arturo Gatti, Evander Holyfield, you want to know what a warrior is? Like, that's a definition of a warrior.
2: And that's part of why Evander was such a big underdog against Mike because it was shortly after having retired because of the heart problem that was diagnosed uh, with the Moorer fight. So th- there, w- there were a lot of reasons. It, just, it wasn't just the kinds of fights that Mike was having at that time and some of the fights you'd had with Bo and Moore. Uh, in the years leading up to that, it, it was the heart issue as well.
4: You're talking to me? Yeah. No.
2: I, <laughs> you know, it,
4: it really wasn't a heart issue at all because the fact of the matter, they just gave me too much more and that was half of the fight. Now they, now for for the doctor to tell me I had a heart attack in the ring, I realized, hey, you know, if you just get a little gas in your chest, you're gonna stop. I'm, the, you know. You know, you know, I messed up my shoulder after the first round, and I just after you know after I knocked Michael Moore down, I decided I wasn't gonna give I wasn't gonna just give him the fight, because you know, you know, it's amazing that you can find that some people that are afraid of you. You can look at them and tell they're afraid of you. If you, if you know the point of the matter, they only fight if you get close enough to hit them. They'll fight back, but if if you don't do that, but the fight get kind of bored If you do that. So you know, so with Michael Moore, I just wasn't willing to just say, well, you know, I actually really didn't know the rules because if I knew the rules, I would have just said, hey, my shoulder hurt, and they would have called it a draw. But you know, I, you know, I thought I would just be giving it up. I worked too hard to just give something up, so he gonna have to fight
2: me for it, and he he did. He won. Then he lost to Foreman. Uh, Bert, um, in terms of the film and its structure. Uh, it might seem readily apparent why you would focus on these two guys. They're on they're a collision course with each other. They've come from different parts of the world. They were certainly represented, as Lou said, in the film. One is good, one is bad. Bernard Hopkins is a different kind of story, but he fits in so well. What, what was your thinking behind the way you structured things?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, Bernard Hopkins would have been here, but he's actually fighting tonight um, at almost 50. He has a, a title fight uh, in Washington, D.C. with Al Bernstein calling it. So He's fighting Al? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Al Bernstein's calling the fight, so they, they would have been here otherwise. But... Um, I think these three guys came from such, I mean, I I was just so inspired by their individual stories, number one, but most of all, too, they all came from the same generation. They're they're roughly all the same age, came through, and what I found was so interesting is they came from such different parts of the world, or or the country, and all kind of were intertwined in very similar situations from childhood to now. And to me, it was really a movie about finding, you know, much more than a boxing movie. I mean, these guys are the most well-documented people and in the zero one percentile of the entire world of, you know, the amount of attention they've they've garnished and and well-deserved. And I think the one thing for us was to facilitate and use them as a vehicle to show how people are able to be champions outside the ring as well as inside the ring. And what do people do once they achieve that? And how is our role as a society? How do we take part in that? Um, so that once they reach that, we can make people you know successful outside the ring, so that they're prepared, educated, provided with the necessary tools and resources. So, but to answer your question, why I picked the three of them, I just they came from the they're the exact they're pretty much the same age, and same generation, and I thought it was really interesting how their stories they're on this collision course. But Bernard kind of started down here, and he was kind of the lessons learned while they were you know had reached you know the top, and then had to go back and learn it again.
2: And, and in some ways, Mike. My- Bernard's story is kind of the opposite of yours. He goes uh, you know, from the penitentiary to the championship, and you went from the championship, although you'd already been to reform school, to the penitentiary. If, if To the championship again. Again, again, that's true. Um, if things had been reversed, if you had been forced to learn the lessons Bernard learned when he was 18, 19 rather than 27, 28, at the Indiana Youth Penitentiary, which that was a misnomer. It still had the name Youth Penitentiary, but it wasn't. How do you think your life might have been
3: different? Um, It it wasn't meant to be that way. It was ordained for me to be the youngest guy and be the person that I am now. There's no way that I could um, concept being Bernard Hopkins, and there's no way in life that he could ever have grasped the concept of being myself. It just was meant to be the way it is. Do you think things would have turned out
2: better for you at certain points in your life if if you had done the hard time earlier?
3: It, no, I don't think so. I think it's just all ordained to happen this way. You know, um, As I was saying, God ordained it to be this way. So this is why it happened. This is why I'm here. This is why I'm Michael. That's Mike Tyson. This is why... I've accomplished what I've accomplished. I've lost what I've lost. I regained what, you know, it's just what it is. And, I mean, it's continuing the journey that um, that road in life, figuring it out.
2: Well, well it's interesting, you know, Bert, you, you found three great champions, obviously, but three guys we can look at now as they're in their 50s or approaching 50 uh, who seem pretty contented and in good places. You could have easily focused the story on fighters who have come to bad ends. There's no shortage of stories like that. You said you wanted these guys to be able to provide
1: lessons for other people, examples? I just thought they were the perfect vehicle because I don't think there's a person, you know, on the face of the planet, at least with these two two individuals, female, male, uh, around the world, that don't know who they are. And I think one thing that's really hard is to... Look at people like this and be able to humanize them, and to be able to relate, empathize, and also identify with them. And I think that's one thing where you know I found myself the more I found out about them, and even people in the movie, like people ask, how, you know, different people that are in the film, like Mary J. Blige, and you know, what's interesting is people who you would never suspect being boxing fans, like her, you know, approached me and was like, "Dude, I, I identify." When she found out I was working with Evander and, and Mike. She was just like, I, you don't understand how I've identified since I was a child and since I was young with these guys. Like I go, I go to all these events, I go to all these sporting, you know, events front row. But really, with fighters, I feel like I'm in there with them, and I think that's the one thing where in life I feel like we all can relate at some point to, you know, bat, taking that battle. I mean, it sounds cliche, but you know, each individual has to go through things in life, and it's it's a journey. Like Mike just said, it's each day we have to take one day at a time and figure out our place in it and I think like I said I think even with their success you know we we cheer these guys on we we cheer them on and we're so happy for them like while they're succeeding but the second they kind of reach that pinnacle and maybe they're on their downfall we all kind of turn our backs on them and turn the other way and these are just the guys that made it now what about all the guys that never you know like we show that never make it and like you mentioned you know have tragic ends and what I found inspiring about them was they've hit the highest of highs the lowest of lows and are still able to Make, come back to that high level in their life and, and inspire other people and, and find their purpose
2: so uh, Vayner, you talk about it in the film. I mean between the two guys, you made about half a billion dollars, and at least in terms of your bank accounts these days we're to understand that there isn't a lot of that left. If you had a single decision
3: that have you, you seen my bank account lately
2: i I, I
3: have no Mike no, I are, mean, are, you, okay. are you do, you're doing okay okay.
2: I'm happy for you. Um, uh, I,
3: I, there,
2: there are no revenue agents here tonight. No, no.
3: Um, Listen, now my bank account. just look at my IRS check that I sent. That's all. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not in my bank account no more. It, if you could do one thing
2: differently financially in terms of the way you were managed, and, and you, you say it there, you didn't know anybody who made money, you didn't know anybody who was rich. You didn't know anybody who knew how to f- manage money except the car dealer. That was the best you could do at that time. What, what would you do different?
4: Well, it's it's easier to set something down, but the, the fact of the matter when you don't know, that's the reason why That's I guess that's what you call living. you living because the fact is, you know, you, you meet people and I've met good people and just... Yeah, it's, it's you, you find out when do a person actually cheat you? When you don't know. It's, it's not when you do know. I'm somebody. Like, Life is about being in agreement. You know, is we in agreement? Then that means that you know I'm really not trusting you. We're in agreement because of the fact that I know what you know, so you're not gonna get me. But as soon as you you rely on somebody because you don't know, then they know they can really get you. And so, and so this is what happened. I, you know, my own thing is that I was fortunate enough to, at a young age, everybody that I met was good people, and th- and this is the reason I became who I am, because I was just, I was just a gullible back then. than I was when it happened, because the fact is that nothing ever happened to me, but well, you know, you know, people, people, you know, when my life is that, you know. My mother didn't read, my father didn't read, and you know, but my mother say, listen, follow direction. don't quit. And These are the things that allow me to become the person who I am. But she never did tell me, you know, once you get it, you gotta ask some questions. Uh, the unfortunate thing with me, I didn't ask no questions, so then nobody really had to lie to me because I didn't ask no questions because I thought, well, okay then, It worked for me from the time I was a kid to I became an adult. And because I listened, follow direction, and respect the people, and everything worked. All of a sudden, when I started making $20 million a fight, it changed. And they started talking about things I'd never heard before. So I just listened, and I figured they'll do the right thing. When you look up, your money's gone. And unfortunately it is it's not people you don't know, but it's people you do know and people who you trust. And a lot of the time we trust our family members and and you know, and and, and that but you have to forgive, you know, but because I have forgiven them, I've been able to learn learn from my mistakes and so I you know, I'm on the upcom. I'm I'm back, I'm gonna be back in the position I once was. Because the fact is you, you gotta forgive. If you don't forgive, then you can't hold the, air the whole world hostage because these people that, that you really didn't choose. And I, you don't choose family members, but they are your brothers and sisters, and these are the people you should trust first. But you have to make adjustments, and I have. And I think the good attitude that I have has allowed me to get more, more
5: opportunities. Lou. I mean, Evander, you're a very forgiving guy, but the sport's not a forgiving sport. And... The, the odds are stacked against the fighter. Um, you know, start with the fact most of them are poor. Most of them are uneducated. Then you get into a sport where the rules that govern the sport are different all over the country in every state. And they were all written in the 1920s or 30s, before there was television, before there was pay-per-view. What does a fighter need a manager for now? Why is a manager taking a big percentage of a fighter's money? Because right now, honestly, you get a lawyer... Make sure you have an accounting firm. And the promoter is the guy negotiating with the television networks. And the television networks are deciding what you make. But meanwhile, everybody's got their hand in the fighter's pocket. And there's no federal regulation. There's no commissioner. There's no pension plan. There's no uh, national regulatory body. There's no union. Um, I, I don't really give a shit what people think about me anymore in this sport, so I say what I think. Um, but to be honest, like, there's not a lot of promoters that take the positions I take. And, you know, I supported the ALI Act. I helped write it. Um, no one there, no one's out there to enforce it. So, I mean, it's like if a tree falls and no one can hear the sound, it fall. I mean, you know, there's an ALI Act to protect fighters. No one enforces it. Um, I'm the only promoter that supported federal regulation. I'm the only uh, promoter that supported a union. And I'm, you know... Probably why I'm driving a Jeep and live in suburban Long Island instead of have a penthouse on Park Avenue and drive a Bentley. But um, I gotta wake up in the morning and look in the mirror. Um, you know, that being said, the whole rules of the game gotta change because we're responsible as a sport for, for the fact that we went from the sport of kings into the struggling as an industry. We've really done it, you know, to ourselves. I don't think I'm a great guy because I say the things I say. I don't. I think it may say something about the other people. That do the same stuff I do, that they're not supportive of that, because guess what? Keep a fighter dumb. Keep a fighter unrepresented. Don't show them the books. Don't disclose your real income. You know? Try to discourage them from having an accountant. Try to discourage them from having a lawyer. Pretty easy to steal. You
0: know?
2: I I thought it was interesting, uh, Bert, you know, you got a shot up there of the plaques in the Hall of Fame, and at that point of the film, you're talking about you know, where these guys are heading, basically, and Mike's vision of humanity, which is significantly less misanthropic than it has typically been. I mean, there was a hopeful note that you hit at the end. But you look at that picture, and there's Stanley Ketchell who was shot to death when he was 24 years old. There's Sam Langford, who came to a bad end. You know all these
3: stories, hey, Mike. Listen, I know all the stories. I know the history of all the boxers. So I know all the stories. I know most of the guys um, were destitute. Um, listen, um, I knew this in advance when I started boxing. Um I had a lot of fun, too. You don't think I was just like like with me. All that stuff they were showing over there, that was my stuff. You know, <laughs> the planes and the tigers and the boat. That was my stuff they were showing. <laughs> so, listen, um, I know about this I, had, I was having a great time, and I didn't spare any quarters, any nickels or dimes either. I, I'm not regretful for that in no, no means whatsoever. Um, listen, um, a guy that would uh, think about it when you really actually think about it now I have like a ninth grade education from like a, a special ed school. I got a, my daughter in Georgetown University, um, NYU University, mm-hmm. Carson. All my kids go to Ivy League schools. I'm a dumb shit, but I did something right, you know. I, I'm El I'm smucko, but something happened. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. I don't know, you, you know. You can see why we all like covering boxing back
2: in the <laughs> 90s. Uh, you know, what? Like, I remember this moment uh, vividly after you got knocked out by Lennox Lewis 12 years ago in Memphis, and I was talking to you in your dressing room. I said to you, where where do you go from here? Because that that seemed at the time, although you would fight for three more years and you would fight Williams and Etienne and McBride, it seemed like that was the end of the line. I said, where do you go from here? And you said, I guess I'll just fade into oblivion. And that didn't happen.
3: Why do you think that didn't happen? Hey, um, it's no thanks to myself. It's just that I'm, like, um, I'm fortunate to have this wonderful support system. You know, um, authentically, my, my support system, even when I try to cast them away, they were just there for me. If you have, bad, if you have a bad support system, you're going to have bad support. And if you have a good support system, you have good support. I just have oh, an amazing support system, There when I want them. You know, if I don't use them, it's all on me then. But I just have an awesome support system. And without them, I'll listen. This is not my rock bottom. You know, at the end of the show, like um, me being in prison, me being banged, that's not my rock, my rock bottom. is me with AIDS in a wheelchair. Ooh, I'm a disgusting person. So, um.
2: Oof. things could have been worse. Yeah.
3: Ooh, man, I am just a monster on myself. So, um, I'm just really appreciative of my family and my support system. I'm just, um, I'm very lucky. I'm, there's nothing special about me whatsoever. I'm a typical um, boxer that just lost everything, um, destitute, but I'm just, I'm really lucky. I'm more lucky than I'm anything in life. Lou, if, if there were
2: some effective oversight nationally of the sport, internationally, we know the problems with the sanctioning organizations. Um, w- would they have let a Mike Tyson fight a Kevin McBride in 2005 when he was about to turn 39? Would they have let Evander Holyfield fight John Ruiz when he was in his 40s and James Toney? I- is that? No, I mean, I think that <laughs>
5: so, no, some of that stuff wouldn't have happened. Some of that stuff would happen. But, like, you know, if there was proper oversight, Mike Tyson would have declared bankruptcy and not to be paying money to the IRS right now and people wouldn't have been trying to keep their contracts alive at his expense.
3: And I can't, um, hey, look, let me intervene. I keep the IRS, well, the IRS are very kind to me the other day. <laughs> they, 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 uh, they excused $2 million off my bill, so they're really friendly with me these days. So, you know, let's not talk bad what, about uh, them. The one thing I want to say, Jeremy, I, I said in that movie, I said in that movie at one point
5: that... I yeah. like the IRS now. <laughs> now, right like this moment. I'm friendly I, with them. I said in that movie, and I, and I think it really is true, that, that Mike didn't become what he could have become in the ring. But what you've done, man, over the last, like, I don't know how many years, but what you've done with your life over the last five or six years, the number of people you're inspiring, the number of people you're helping, like, what you've done as, as a symbol of how you can fall down and get up as a human being, not as a fighter, not as an athlete, but as a human being, God bless you, man. Thank you, Louis. Thank
0: you very much. And...
2: and, and and, Evander, I should clarify, uh, you know, those were competitive fights. You weren't in there getting your ass kicked. But the, the point is that at that point you had fought for so long. You would th- fought so many rounds.
3: You never had an easy fight either. You
2: never had an easy fight. Mike had a lot of easy fights. I mean, easy for you. Um, not easy for the other guy. Um, at a certain point... <laughs> When did, when did you say to yourself, there must have been a point where you said, I can't believe I'm still fighting.
4: No, it, it, it wasn't like that to me. The fact, the fact of the matter is that with John Ruiz, I was just having to fight some, I fighting somebody who was afraid and didn't know what to do. And I wasn't accustomed to fighting guys like that. I was accustomed to fighting people who could fight. Now, that guy hit, butted me in a kneecap. But like, you, know, you know, it's hard I'm, to do. I'm saying, I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm sitting, you know at, at that at that time, at that time in my career, I wasn't I wasn't hurt, but was nothing wrong. It's just a fact of the matter. I had a, had a shoulder injury, and I didn't listen to what the doctor said. The doctor said you need to take a year and a half off. Now the doctor told me that, and I said, is that for the average person? And he said, yeah. Then I just tell you, when he said that, I wasn't average. And I didn't listen to what he said. And I get out there and I fight another fight and mess my shoulders up again. And so, you know, so when, when, when I didn't win them few fights there, I realized that just like my mama said, you got to listen. I didn't listen and I didn't take the direction of the doctor. and 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 when my shoulder got better, I came back and... Start, start winning the fights. I start back winning the fights, and everybody realized that, you know what, he hadn't got old. But, in, but you know, and then when it came to the fight and the fight, I would get ready to fight the Russian. And in Russia, uh, somebody gave me a pill to take for why well, I wouldn't catch cramp because after every fight, I would dehydrate. And, you know, and that was just really silly for me to do that, and I did it. When I got in the fight, my body, I was so relaxed. And, Bought you and Not Not well, Not Badwell. I, uh, I beat Badiouel. They just gave it to him. But I beat him. I beat him. That's I, true. You did. I beat him I 11 did. rounds out of yeah. 12. They yeah. gave it to him. Yeah. But this, this with the, the little left-handed guy uh, in, in Russia, It just the fact is that some... he was hitting me, and I was like, well, you know, what's wrong? I was asking myself, what? Then when I got out of the ring, my friend said, man, you shouldn't have took that pill." I got the doctor gave me a doggone pill. Well, I wouldn't be catching cramps after that, which,
2: which was foolish.
4: And, you know, that was on me.
2: I, I, I wonder, Bert, you know, you're obviously a fan, an enthusiast anyway, of the fight game, someone who knows a lot about it. Do, do you consider, in some ways, I think a lot of people around the sport do, the night that you fought Lennox 12 years ago, that was the end? That was That was the last
1: big fight
2: do you think we 'll ever see a moment like that again in the sport
1: i mean it 's it's, it's hard to say I think you know that was one of the uh, I feel like the sport of boxing is such a microcosm of, of that 's why we really talk about all these kind of social issues and, and I thought Bernard was another great addition because of you know him spending so much time in jail and in and, and prison and I think it's a microcosm of so many bigger issues that are going on in this country, and I, I felt like these were such cool. This such a cool and unique way to kind of shed light on those and unearth some of the, uh, you know, the disparities between wealth and poverty, the, the the fact that we don't, you know, focus on education and, and rehabilitation and uh, inf- informing people and, and providing people an avenue to succeed, but to. To answer the question about Lennox Lewis, I mean, I don't, I don't know that there'll be a, a time like that. I don't, you know, I, Lou could probably answer that better than me. Well, I mean, first of all, Jeremy, like, last year there was a fight that generated more money than any athletic Well,
5: that's adventure. the thing. The money's there. Canelo, yeah. Yeah. Canelo Alvarez yeah. and, and, and Floyd Mayweather did 2.2 million pay-per-view homes. It generated more money than anything. Now, that being said, there's not a full-time boxing writer in any newspaper in the United States yeah. of America.
2: Which is shocking.
5: But I mean, if you, can, if you Yahu, look back
2: to where it was in the 90s.
5: you go on Yahoo Sports or ESPN Sports and go onto their, like, their homepage, there's not like a line for boxing. You have to go in other. Like, we're in there with hunting
2: and fishing. But, but we've got Rayfield. I mean, we do have a full-time boxing guy, at least.
5: Yeah, you've got a full-time boxing guy. Basically, his stuff's on the Internet, for the most part. I yeah. mean, that's where it is. It's, an internet, yeah. it's, it's, it's a blogger's sport at this point. Um, it's one of the different problems, in Mexico. Here's another problem. It's you're, looking at, you're looking at two guys that were... Hall of, Not fame, me. Hall of Fame American <laughs> Heavyweights. Right now, the American Heavyweight division really largely doesn't exist.
2: I mean, And it we, hasn't existed in a long
5: time. Well, well, why? Because if you're a big, strong guy, what do you do? You go, play, go to the NBA? You go to the NFL? You go to the Major League Baseball? You
2: well, know what? They pay better. Well, we talk about poor kids... Going into boxing, Muhammad Ali wasn't a poor, poor kid. He was a lower middle class now, kid poor, in Louisville. He kids. wouldn't go into boxing yeah, poor today. Poor
5: kids now are six foot four and two fifty, yeah. which, by the way, you know the goes and most of the heavyweights coming out of Eastern Europe now are these huge physical specimens. Um, in these other countries, they're developed as fighters. The amateur programs pay them almost like professionals. They're encouraged to develop and go into boxing. Big guys in the United States don't go into boxing. There are no college scholarships for fighters. You know, you can go to college scholarship playing hoops, playing football, playing, you know. The, right now, the incentive for the bigger guy is to do something else. And by the way, most of the other stuff is a little bit better for your health. And there's another exponent, too. Well, you just think it's hard. Yeah, it it's is. Hard. It's, it's, really so hard hard. it's really hard. It's really and hard. It's really hard. Our biggest and best athletes aren't going into boxing. And so as the heavyweight division, to some extent, so goes boxing. And that's one of the reasons I think that boxing is not where it should be in the United States.
3: You just need a sensational heavyweight that's fighting real well, and then it boom, pop right back up. And a guy will uh, submerge; they always do. They, just, they always do. In American, me. yeah, it never fails. This is the longest Germany. drought in ever Yeah, it's the had longest drought that. in history, but it never fails. But when he comes, boy, he's gonna bring it, boy. And that we need that because when, when here's, here's part of the problem. He's, gonna, you you know, know, he he's gonna, have... gonna make a lot of money. He's gonna make tons. tons He'll probably of be money. the first billionaire oh, yeah. boxer. You, would you let your kids fight? My kids. Well, they don't have to fight, but if I if I if they did, I wouldn't want them to fight anybody like me. No. <laughs> what well, I'm letting them fight. No one wants like me, their no. kid to
2: fight
5: Mike Tyson. Jeremy, if you, if you have a five-year contract in, in Major League Baseball or a five-year contract in the NFL or a three-year contract, whatever, and you you can have a couple of bad years, go to the last year of your contract, if you're a baseball player, hit three ten and thirty-five homers, sure. and get a multi-million dollar contract. You could be Mike Tyson or Vander Holyfield. And they can count to ten, and your life changes with that ten-second count. And that's what differentiates this sport from so many. It's also the reason there are so many movies about it, so many documentaries about it, such great writing about it, because it's the highest form of theater, it's the most poetic of all sports, it's also the most unforgiving and often the saddest.
2: Sim Rockman goes to Johannesburg. Lennox Lewis hasn't really trained for the fight. He's been filming Ocean's Eleven or whatever it was. And Sim Rockman becomes the lineal champion of the world, just like these guys. Well, there you go. Um, as I said, the film, before we get to some questions, ends on an upbeat note, uh, a hopeful note. Um, and, and, Mike, you spell that out. Uh, Vander, the way you look at the world now, all the things you've seen, all the things you've been through, those highs, those incredible highs and those low lows – Um, What are you looking forward to for the rest of your life? Well, if I could be a better
4: parent than my mother, I'm going to be good. (laughs) You know, for my mother to have a a sixth grade education and just basically two or three things, listen, follow action, don't quit, stayed on me, made sure I came in the house at nine o'clock. You know, I probably had to be the only senior in the high school had to be home at nine o'clock, and but I'm the one that became the heavyweight champion of the world too I'm saying you my mother was just so strict, and you know she and she and she would talk about attitude was the best thing that you had to have. She's cause everybody mess up she said so son, if you have a good attitude, you'll get more chances, and I'm the guy who I am because the attitude I have has always put me in a position to Make And so, you know, that's, that's my goal, just to be better than my mother, to try to, try to get my sons and daughters to listen, follow directions, and
2: not quit. Mike, uh, as for you, a few days after you got the tattoo, it was right before the Etienne fight in 2003. Yes. I saw you at the weigh-in in Tunica, and I said, why did you do that? And you said, and I'll never forget this, you said, because I don't want to look at myself
3: in the mirror anymore. Yeah, I could have said that back then. You don't feel that way anymore. No, I like my tattoo a lot. You like the tattoo then. I wouldn't wouldn't want to take it off, no, but I really like my tattoo a lot. Um, Hey, um, I'm who I am. I'm just who I am. I'm just, um, like Vanda was saying, um, I am a better parent than my mother and my father. And I'm just, um, and that's a victory in itself, you know. So as long as I, me, Mike Tyson, emotionally could... um, as long as I can emotionally um, distinguish myself from this heavyweight champion guy, and I have a great life, you know. Cause psychologically, if I get involved with this guy, and this guy's in my head, then I'm in a lot of problems. You know, the only thing I know that I'm, from the grace of God, and just by the grace of God, I have an awesome life. I can imagine my life in a million years. You couldn't ask me ten years ago. You think um, I would have a life? No, I think I'd be fucking dead. But um, I'm not dead, and I'm having an awesome life, and um, I'm just very grateful, and that's what I try- always try to convey is gratitude. I'm really grateful, and I just don't take myself serious. My only problem, I always took myself serious. I took myself too damn serious, and um, that got me in a lot of trouble, too, and I'm just um, grateful. I could look at myself and just say, you're a big El schmucko right there, and um, <laughs> you're going to be all right.
2: As they say in Brownsville.
3: Uh, we yeah,
2: will uh, a few questions. Uh, just, a, just a few. Uh, who's got the mics? Where are the mics? The mics are over there. How about that hand up there in the back? Which one? That one. You. Yes, you.
0: Thanks very much for uh, being here, for talking to us. I have a question about uh, what you think on uh, mixed martial arts. It's become more and more popular. Uh, I'm wondering if you feel like its popularity has come at the expense of boxing, and also just what's your take on those guys? You view them as uh, good fighters. Who, who are you asking? Anyone who is willing to ask.
2: Anyone. Evander?
4: Well, um, you know, I, I mixed martial arts, it's, it's a totally different game. It's something that I wouldn't get in, not because, because I just don't want I just don't want somebody to break my arm. and, and it's, You know, I don't want my arm to be broken just and then because then I don't want to tap out either because I, I want everybody to know I got a heart. You know, I always had this thing that I'd rather die before I quit. You know, but, you know, if you don't quit, you get your arm broken that. You know, if they talking about boxing danger, I think that's more dangerous than boxing because I think it takes for the character of the person. You know, anybody can tap out and and hope for another day. But, you know, in life, you don't... If you quit one time, it's easy to quit again. So, you know, the thing is that I think because they put that in, if they have to get rid of sport, that would be the first one.
5: Next question. Uh, There's one thing on that. Oh, yes, Lou. I, I don't think that MMA has hurt boxing. I think boxing did it to itself. Big time. Yeah.
3: And I would do the MMA too, but my feet are so mad jacked up. They stepped on my feet, I'm tapping out. <laughs> I'm tapping out. My bunion, I'm going tap <laughs> out. <laughs> they could twist my arm, Wait, but they stepped step on my Didn't step
2: on your feet in Glasgow? Or no. did you step on his? Well, I
3: can't remember. Well, um, I was size 15. could. He oh. was size 15 too, so we could have <laughs> right. kissed toes or something. I don't know. Yeah. How about here in the front row?
2: Uh, Wait for the mic,
1: please. Hi. um, um, There's not that many people in the world that have seen, like, the extremes of poverty and wealth as you two have. Um, You know, what advice, I guess, would you give outside of sports to sort of disadvantaged youth uh, growing up and also, I guess, maybe your perspective on sort of Maybe it's more political, but like wealth inequality and how you would sort of think about that, because you sort of have a unique perspective, I guess. He's a Maoist.
3: Me? <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, wealth inequality. Yeah, and advice to kids. So well, wait, advice to kids is that um, whatever you want to um, achieve in life, you have to. It's almost like, um, what can I say? How to? Um, it's like a monogamous relationship. Whatever you want to achieve in life, you have to love it. You have to sacrifice everything you have for it. You have to um, leave what you love for it, sacrifice what you love for it, in order for it to grow to the, um, the zenith that you want it to grow. You know? And that's what success is about, You know, being total loyal to yourself and, and sacrifice. It's all about sacrifice. And about um, equal equality and, and wealth, that's not how the world was created. And it's just not created like that. It's never going to be that way. We're never going to have poor people all of a sudden become, the rich are going to give the poor people money and make them equal to them. No, it's never going to happen that way. And so it's all about um, dedication and forming unions and working together as one, to accomplish your goals in that, um, I could say what, humanitarian life. But individually it's not going to happen because this is not how the world was created. Common sense, that was. If that was the case, um, everybody, everybody, nobody would ever have to work then. Hey, uh, over here,
2: this side of the room. Yes, sir. Wait for the mic, please. Uh, you?
4: Yeah. Hi, my name is Ty uh, Hi, Mike. How you doing? How What's you doing, Bob? Evander? I was a star of a movie called The Last Dragon, and I want to ask Mike a question about uh, when he took me up to train at the Catskills, and I, it was, I had a great time with him. He's, I just love him. Uh, Mike, do you remember the dog that uh, when you were running a little in front of me, we went to r- go running about five thirty in the morning? It was kind of dark out there, and the dog was running after me. And I say, hey, Mike, there's a vicious dog over here, and you said, "Don't worry, just kick him in the face."
3: <laughs>
4: you remember I, that dog?
3: I don't remember that damn the dog. story. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
4: yeah.
2: I remember it. But uh, it's a pleasure to see you in a van and Avantia doing well. Uh, God bless you, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yes. Yeah, how about this gentleman down here? Yes, you, in the plan. Can we bring a mic down here? All right, we'll leave it back there.
4: You can there. ask and we'll repeat it. Scream. Uh, this is a question from Mike.
2: Oh, hold on one second. He's got it. You could be
3: next. This
4: is so awesome. Am I next? <laughs> Am I next? <laughs> All right. Uh, by the time uh, you uh, went to prison, you were pretty much the most feared guy on the planet. Am I, uh, I was always curious, when you were there, were people uh, respecting that or people trying to take shots at you saying, I, I, you know, I, I beat up Mike Tyson, I did this, or people like,
0: you know, gave you a certain level of respect. And, oh, well, I
3: don't, I don't know. I don't know how to say this. Um, I don't know. I, I just had. I had a good time in prison too. It wasn't like I was. I was locked up and stuff. Um, I had my private phone. Um, hey, I, I, had, I, I had a good time in prison, but it wasn't. It was, nope. It's not a very nice place. Yeah, I was at nice. that place. That yeah, it's was not, not a nice, nice place. place, but uh, not, nobody, I, was, I, was very, I was a nice guy. Nobody bothered me. I'm very respectful if you ever get to know me. I'm really polite as well. <laughs> uh, over here. Oh, yes, you get Sir, go ahead.
0: Uh, thanks a lot. Um, I was very surprised in terms of seeing in the film a mention, or at least an extended mention, of the question of mass incarceration. And the fact that uh, 2.4 million people are incarcerated and that this country, with 5% of the population of the world, has incarcerated 25% of its own population, yet has the audacity to call no, it No, so. no, it
2: wasn't 25% of our population. It's 25% of the world's incarcerated are in the U.S. Yes. No,
0: that's yeah. I, I stand correct. Okay. That's what I meant to say. I would like to invite more... Um, elaboration in terms of why that was injected in the film, because the filmmaker could have actually bypassed that question and just looked at the question Bernard uh, and just as a matter of fact spoke about the fact that he was in prison or even that Mike was in prison. But I'd like to have maybe some elaboration on that. But I'd like to also speak to y'all afterwards in terms of... I ain't going to be I'm, here that long. As soon as this uh, is over, I'm gone. I need to, <laughs> I need to run after you, brother. Burt, represent a brother named Carl Dix and he actually and, and brother uh, Cornell West have called for a month of resistance against mass incarceration in October of 2014. So I need to talk to you afterwards to everybody else. My name is Steve Yip. Hey Steve. Okay? I'm Some stop people mass need incarceration to be locked everywhere. up. by the way, here's another thing. I am locked a mouse up. myself. Okay? I, am a mouse. Locked
1: up. I think like I said earlier, I mean... Highlighting the major social issues that, that hit this country, and that's one of them. I felt, especially Bernard being in prison, Mike h- had his time, but really, it's it's it was more about shedding light on a huge epidemic going on in this country. And I mean, it's it could borderline be like genocide. I mean, it's just it's a cycle to set people up for failure, and that was, and that was, and that was.
5: I wouldn't go that far, but we don't rehabilitate in prison. Guys don't go to prison usually and come out better people. Because they're going to prison, they're locked in a cell, they're dehumanized. You know, there are now some programs, I'm on a board of a a charity called Council for Unity, that goes into the prisons, mentors people, mentors them, you know, encourages them to educate themselves, and then helps them place themselves when they get out of prison. We need more of that. That's the problem. Because what prison does right now, you know what it encourages you to do? Go Go back to
1: prison. Uh, This is for... Yes.
2: Uh, this is for Evander or Mike. Um, it's talked about... Which how one? Either one of you. <laughs> okay. Either one of you answer. answer I would really appreciate that rich kids don't go into boxing. I have a 13-year-old. We're in the heart of Texas football country. My kid didn't play football. He was bullied. So I put him training with a boxer, which he's been doing for a year and a half, for fitness, and so he wouldn't be bullied. And it worked. He's really fit, and he's not bullied anymore. He walks the halls with respect. But now my problem is he really wants to box, and he's obsessed with the two of you. I don't want my, I mean, what, what do I tell him to? No, persuade him not to box. This is
3: the best way to persuade him. Let him box. <laughs> okay. Let him box. All right. I want to thank the great Lou
2: DiBella, the brilliant Bert Marcus, and two of the great heavyweight champions. Of all time, Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson.